This is the Pathways Podcast. This podcast exists to help you find completeness in Jesus. Wow, that was good, Luke and Bethany. Watch out, guys. They're going to be leading you in worship next. Do you guys know that song? It's kind of an old song. I'm surprised you know it. All right, well, um, I don't know how to lift that. That's fine. Uh, who was watching that donut game earlier and was like, I would probably do a pretty good job because I like to fish. Raise your hand if you like to fish. Okay. Here in Echoes. Some of you. Uh, raise your hand if you've caught like a fish, maybe like a foot. Okay. What about like half of your arm? What about like your whole arm length? Caught some big fish. Uh, okay, raise your hand if you think that they were lying about that. Okay, most of them believe you. I just heard that's like a thing, you know. I don't fish, but I heard it's a thing that you like lie about how big the fish are you caught to make it sound cool. But I believe you guys. Huge fish over there, this group. Uh, but I am not a fisherman. I don't like fish, number one, like to eat. Um, I guess like a pet fish is fine. Um, I don't like the smell of fish. I think uh, it smells just like a bunch of dead, rotten things. And I don't like the feel of fish. Like I learned today that fish have like slime on the outside of their scales that like help them move quicker in water, um, which is gross. But I guess that's how they survive. But I don't like the feel of fish, the smell of fish, the taste of fish. And honestly, I think probably the last time that I went fishing... I was probably 10 years old, and I was with my brother, Zach, and we were with our uncle, and we were out on this land, okay? Uh, My uncle had a friend who had a stocked pond, and he's like, we're going to go fishing on this Saturday or whatever, and I was like, wow, sounds really fun. Um, So we go fishing. I'm already mad because there are a lot of other things I would rather do than fish, even as a 10-year-old, and all I remember is we get there, and here's the scene, Okay? There's a pond, but it's also in the middle of a field with a lot of cows. So it had rained a couple days before, so it's already muddy around the pond. But because there are so many cows there, you don't know where the mud starts and the poop begins or where it ends. So it's just all mixed together. So it smells bad because, one, it's a pond. smells bad because there's a lot of fish in the pond, and it smells bad because there's cow poop literally everywhere. Um, So I'm having a great time as a 10-year-old. Like, yay, I think I have a Barbie, like a pink Barbie little fishing line or whatever. Um, I catch zero fish that day. Is that surprising to any of you with all the stats I just gave you about like how much I love fishing? Zero fish. Didn't catch a thing. Didn't even catch like a stick. Like usually people just catch sticks or something. I caught literally nothing. My worm was always gone because I never had it on tight enough, but I caught nothing. Uh, and my brother, he had a pretty good day. He did catch something, um, and he was, like, really, like, yanking it. Uh, it was something big, and he was like, wow, what is this? Well, turns out it was the back of my leg, you guys. He had hooked me in the bend, the back armpit of my leg. So not only am I surrounded by cow poop and fish and worms, but I'm literally bleeding because my brother has hooked me in the back of the leg, and he's like, like, thinking this. I'm like, it's me. It's not a stick. It's me. Um, So I don't like fishing. I'm not a fisherman. But fishing is exactly where our story starts tonight, okay? We're in John 21. Our uh, sentence for the week is, Jesus restores the fall, and this is the truth that we're looking at. 
And we're in John 21, where Jesus is post-crucifixion and post-resurrection, okay? What's happened is this says that this is the third time that Jesus has uh, appeared to his disciples. So Mary, right, she's ran to the tomb. Jesus has died. She's ran to the tomb, and the stones rolled away. And this angel tells her, go and tell the disciples, and Mark adds on, and Peter, which is interesting, go and tell the disciples and Peter. And so she goes, and they're all in this room, and all of a sudden, Jesus is in the room with them. And they're like, what? And, you know, they're excited because he's alive, but they're also probably not understanding completely what's going on. And then he appears again because Thomas isn't in the room, and Thomas is like, if I don't see and feel, I'm not going to believe. So Jesus appears again to Thomas, and now in John 21, the last chapter of John, Jesus is standing on the shore while his disciples are out fishing. And this is the third time post-resurrection that he has shown himself. So let's read the first three verses, see what's going on. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I can relate to that, because I also catch nothing when I go and fish. Uh, but maybe if you're listening to that, you're like, I've heard that story before. Like, these fishermen aren't catching anything, must not be too good. Um, but here's the backstory, okay? So it starts out with Peter. He's like, I'm going to go fishing. And the rest of the disciples are like, me too. Here's the backstory on Peter. You probably know most of it, but we'll remind ourselves. Peter, he was a fisherman. That was his trade. That was his job. That's what he got moolah from. Uh, and Peter is in his hometown, and he's fishing with his brother, and they fished all night. This is in Luke 5. They fished all night uh, and caught nothing. And Jesus asks uh, if they could go out again. And imagine, like, how annoying that is, right? I don't know what you guys are good at. Some of you are good at sports. Some of you guys are good at academics. Imagine someone who's the opposite. So say you're good at math. Someone's just really good at playing volleyball, and they're like, actually, let me teach you this equation. You're like, you have no idea what you're about to tell me. Imagine the frustration, right? Jesus is like, let's go back out. And Peter's like, we just caught nothing, and we were out there all night. But they go out, and Jesus is out there with them, and he says, throw your net over. And Peter's like, yeah, I'm just imagining this. Like, Peter's like, yeah, I know how to fish. Um, and what happens is they catch this miraculous catch of fish, right? So many that they can't even pull it into the boat. And what does Peter do in Luke 5? He drops to his knees and he's like, get away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. And Jesus in that moment looks at him and he says, Peter, you're no longer going to be a fisherman, but now you're going to be a fisher of men. And that's kind of a weird sentence, right? Um, I think it's weird because most people don't use it, other than, like, that's a kingdom sentence, okay? Fishing happens outside of the church, outside of Christianity, like, you don't have to be a Christian to fish, but to be a fisher of men, this call that Jesus has given Peter, that's a kingdom statement, because fishing for men is converting people, right? Fishing for men is telling people about the good news of Jesus and allowing them, if they choose, to come and walk and be a follower of him. So, pretty similar to what's happening here is this first time 
that Peter has an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, leave this behind, come with me, and I'm going to give you a new way to live. And instead of fishing for fish, you're going to fish for men. Okay? So this is what's happening here. John 21, Peter, he's with the disciples. Jesus has appeared to them three times. And Jesus is on the shore. They don't know yet. But they're out fishing, and they're catching nothing. And it's Peter who insists that they go out and do it. But what you also need to know about Peter is he's the disciple that's uh, kind of the leader of the rest of them. Like, he's always the first one, from what I can tell, that is to think and, like, speak. So if you think about um, when Jesus is like, who do you guys say I am? Peter's like, I know. He's like, "Uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, what we know as the great confession. Or if you think about when Jesus is telling him about what's going to have to happen to the Son of Man, that he's going to have to die and be crucified, Peter's like, no, don't even talk about that. And, and Jesus has to put him in his place, and he's like, get behind me, Satan. Like, you can't rebuke me. I'm telling you what's going to happen. I'm the Messiah. And then also in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus is arrested, they're praying, and Jesus says to Peter, he's like, can't you even stay awake like one hour and pray? And the officials come to arrest Jesus, and Mark tells us that it's Peter. He takes out a sword, he like tries to get a guy, and he cuts off his ear. Not a good shot, Peter. But he's, just, he's always the first to think, always the first to say something, always the first to act. Because it's also Peter who looks at Jesus and says, Lord, even though every other disciple may fall away, I'm not, I won't, I won't abandon you. And if you know what happens next, Jesus is like, well, Peter, actually, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And as it happens, the officials come and get Jesus. They take him to be beaten, to be mocked. And Peter, he's sitting there warming himself around a fire. And the servant asks, hey, aren't you one of this guy's disciples? No. No. Still warming himself, someone else is like, no, aren't you one of this guy's disciples too? No, not me. And even a third person, a relative of the guy whose ear he cut off, he goes, I'm pretty sure I saw you in the garden. Peter's like, no, I don't know him. And scripture says that Jesus looks at Peter right after that happened. The rooster crows and what he said was going to happen comes true. And Peter, as Jesus is going to be crucified and beaten He's denied him three times. So this is Peter, who says, hey, I'm going out to fish. I think what's happening is Peter is going back to his day job. He's going on the lake and taking the disciples with him to fish. But what he doesn't know, at least in that moment, is that Jesus is there with him. So let's read verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Sounds pretty familiar, right? Keep going. Verse seven, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, which I think is interesting, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Like, what is going on? 
This disciple whom Jesus loved, who we know is John, he looks at Peter and he says, it's the Lord. I wonder if in that moment, John is like, I know what's happening. This is Peter's thing. Like, this is when Peter first met Jesus. This is his thing. Like, no fish, all of a sudden, a lot of fish. It's the Lord. And do you remember the first time this happened? Peter dropped to his knees and he said, get away because of my sin. But the second time, he puts on his clothes and the boy jumps in the boat and he's swimming to shore. And we find out just in the next verse, they're only 100 yards off, but he doesn't get in the boat. He doesn't wait for the boat to row him there. He's like, I'm going now to get next to Jesus. And this is all after he's denied him three times. And I think this is a pretty cool moment of his eagerness to get next to Jesus. Larry Stout told me on Sunday, I didn't get to see it because I was kind of sitting over here. But Ryan, when he got baptized last week, Larry said that he saw him literally like take off running. He knew it was time to get into the baptistry. He took off running. He didn't walk. He was so excited. He had eagerness to get there. And this is kind of what I imagined Peter like. He's like, I'm not even thinking straight. I'm just going to jump into the, into the water and go. So the disciples, they, they row 100 yards and get to shore and bring the fish ashore. And Jesus says, come and eat breakfast with me. And so the disciples, Peter goes back, helps them get some fish, and they come around another fire. And this is the second time that this type of fire, a charcoal fire, is used in Scripture. The first time in Luke 5 when Peter first meets Jesus, or I'm sorry, the first time when Peter denies Jesus around the fire with the servants. And this is the second time now that he's around a fire. And it's fall, so I'm sure maybe you've been around a fire. I hope so. I hope you've been making some s'mores with some fall weather. So you know kind of that smell that like gets stuck in your hair and in your clothes. And if you're like me and don't wash your hair ever, you come to work the next day and they're like, what's wrong with you? You stink. And I'm like, I'm around a fire. It's fine. Um, so you know that smell, right? So, thank you. So the disciples, they're sitting around the fire. Jesus says, come eat breakfast. I don't know who eats breakfast fish for breakfast. I hate fish, but they're eating fish. And so there's the smell of the fire going, and Jesus begins to ask Peter some questions. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. That's interesting because Peter had cha- or Jesus had changed Peter's name, but now he reverts back to his original name, Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? Some people are divided um, over whether the these are the rest of the disciples sitting around them, right? Because Peter was the one who said, even if they leave, Lord, I'm not abandoning you. Peter, do you love me more than these? Other people think maybe it's the fish, right? By trade, that's what he did. That was his job. That was his old life. Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your old life? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He leaves off the and these. I wonder if it's because he wants to get to the point of the question, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to Jesus, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I don't know what Peter looked like, but I imagine anyone's face that's kind of like, okay. It says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? 
And I imagine in that moment, he's smelling the fire, and he's like, three times. And he says, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter has really failed, right? I mean, would you agree? Like saying, no, I don't know the Messiah, like right when they're taking him to beat him, that, that stinks for Peter. And I think maybe Peter felt some shame about this because I don't know how I would have acted if I would have seen Jesus resurrect, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I would have necessarily just gone back to fishing, but that's what he does. He just goes back to what's comfortable. But I do know myself that any time that I have felt shame about something that I've done or sometime when I have failed, I do just go back to what's easier, right? It's easier if I don't tell my close friends what I said or how I acted towards someone. It's easier if I just go back and pretend it didn't happen. And so I think there's a moment that if we look at this for ourselves and think about a time that we failed, there's a question that maybe you've asked yourself, maybe you've thought like, how, how does God respond to my failure? Or how does he react when I fail? Maybe you're like me. Um, if you don't know this about me, I went to Web City High School, so I was a student at this church in this youth group. Um, so some years removed, but I've literally been in your chair. And I know that any time that I did something that I was ashamed of doing or did something when all of my friends, they knew, okay, Peyton's the Christian, but I did something that I was like, no, that's not like Jesus at all. How, like, you know, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make fun of this person. I'm gonna use this kind of language when I'm around you. I'm gonna cheat on this test. Um, I'm gonna, silly things, like I'm gonna cut the corners in volleyball and say that I ran all of the walls back and forth. And I don't know if you're like me, but there have been moments in my life that I have failed and I've thought, how, like, how does God respond to me in this moment? For a long time, I thought he was just mad. And that's for a whole different reasons because maybe the people that I did fail, like my coach and my parents, they were mad. And they were like, Peyton, are you kidding me? Why did you do that? And so I had this voice like, maybe that's what God is doing. And so probably I'm just going to keep on living life because now I'm of no use, right? Because I failed. I don't know what Peter was thinking. I don't know how he was expecting Jesus to respond. But what I do know is that this was very kind of Jesus. Because what he did is he set up this scene, this same miracle, this miraculous catch of fish. He sets it up again and totally redeems the moment for Peter. I mean, think about it. In those days between Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, every time a rooster crowed, what do you think Peter was thinking about? I failed him. I said I didn't know him. But Jesus sets up this scene again, uses sensory of smell, this fire, and asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And I think what Jesus did in that moment is, yes, he restored him. He reinstated him, gave him back his position. He allowed him to tell what he actually thought. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But he didn't say, do you love me? Do you love me? Done. 
that accounts for the three times you denied me. But he said, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. I'll let you in on a secret. Jesus doesn't have a pasture of woolly animals. He's talking about people when he says sheep. And what he had done with Peter the first time when he called him to be a disciple is he said, Peter, you're going to be a fisher of men. You're going to tell people about me. I'm going to send you out with the Holy Spirit and you're going to start the church. And in this moment where if I was Peter, I'd be like, oh my gosh, one, two. He's asking a third time. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. That's future language for Peter. It's not, I'm going to leave you here. It's like, come on. Let's go back to your original calling. Get back to fishing. And so I don't know about you. I don't know how you feel um, with God when things don't go right, when you mess up, when you make mistakes, when you fail, when you maybe literally deny him and you're like, no, like I go to church sometimes, but I don't follow Jesus. I don't know how you think God responds to you. But I think what I see Jesus doing here is he's really kind and he restores and he redeems Peter because he's purposed Peter to go and fish, to go and tell people the Messiah has come and he's come to save and you're invited. And what I do know is that he said the same of us who are disciples of Jesus. He said, go and tell the world. Go to literally every corner of the world and tell people about me. So I don't know. Maybe you need me to say this. It doesn't matter what your failure was. God redeems and restores everything because you've been purposed to go and fish. And I'm sorry if you're like me and you don't like worms and you don't like fish, but the good news is you don't have to mess with those because it's people. It's going and telling the good news of Jesus and saying, Jesus has come to save and you're invited How does God respond to our failure? He redeems it and he restores it and he sends us out. I'm gonna ask you to stand and I'm gonna pray over us. God, thank you for being a kind God. Thank you for also being just, for at times bringing us back to those moments um, of our failure and of the things that we feel ashamed about and we want to hide away. Thank you for bringing us to those moments. But God, thank you for restoring and redeeming that, for loving us, that you would take care of each and every one of our failures and our mistakes and our sin by sending the son that you loved to die for us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us in our relationships with the people that we walk by at our works. Uh, in our schools, on our teams, in our clubs, that you would help us have courage to be able to communicate the hope that we have of Jesus. And Father, I pray that um, you would continue to remind us that you are in the business of restoration and that you are a God that redeems all things and that one day, Jesus, you're coming again to redeem the whole world. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make that so exciting to us that we would tell our friends, that we would tell our family, and that we would tell people that we get to see day in and day out. We love you, and it's all in Jesus' name through the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. 
We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.